you know, I feel that, and I feel it's important that I do my part as a coach and make sure that, uh, you know, we get this staff and team ready to play and that uh, we're ready to compete come game one. And it's a long season, but you got to just take it step by step and figure out ways to win. And, uh, you know, and we want to do it now. So I really think it's, it's getting to that point and, and, and the season's right around the corner. Welcome back to What's Next with Eric Wood. Special episode today, episode 200, and we're sitting here with Jeff Brom, the head coach of the University of Louisville, former NFL quarterback, but actually the guy who gave me my one and only scholarship to play college football. So big reason I am where I am today. So it's an honor to have Jeff on the podcast. Jeff, welcome to the show, brother. Thank you for having me, Eric. I'll let you start off if you want to. Uh, any embarrassing stories, any stories about the recruiting process, your time coaching me that, that stand out? Well, to be quite honest, uh, I was the one who recruited Eric uh, to come to the University of Louisville. And, uh, you know, at the time, I was a young coach trying to impress and you know, kind of thought I found a hidden gem, you know, really a good athlete, played tight end the year before, moving the tackle, a little bit undersized, underweight, but really good athlete. I give you credit. And, uh, Kept kind of pushing the envelope with our head coach. Hey, I really think we need to offer Eric, da 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 And coach was like, well, what else does he have going on? I said, well, he doesn't have anything going on. And, oh, just keep recruiting him. And I got that story about five or six times from him. And then finally, I uh, went and watched him practice basketball. And I'm not going to lie, you, you were really good. I mean, you ran up and down the court like Larry Burr. You were making plays. And I came back to coach. I said, hey, I'm just telling you, you got to trust me, man. This guy can play football. He's athletic. Uh, let's roll. Let's, let's roll with it. And he, and he did. And fortunately, we did because you came in. You did a great job. Um, you know, even though you're undersized, you got up in your weight really fast, probably really? too fast uh, <laughs> at the beginning. And uh, we redshirted you the first year, but of course, you were a four-year starter, team captain, and went on to great things. And uh, so it just go, goes to show you if you if you think you you found somebody you believe in, it's good to trust your judgment and roll with it. And you definitely proved me right. Well, I appreciate that. Yeah. I, we were on my recruiting visit and we were sitting down with you and Coach Petrino and my dad and said, well, if you can get up to 300 pounds, you might play as a freshman. So I don't really do anything halfway. So that meant I was getting to 300 pounds. I showed up on campus. I remember being at practice one day and I think I was just really hydrated. Like I hydrated really well, but you came up and said, it looks like you have a turkey stuck, <laughs> stuffed under your jersey. Uh, so we had some good laughs about that. I appreciate it with you. Uh, uh, all the conversations you would have with my dad during the recruiting process, he was just eating up. He's like, you know, you know, Jeffy, he played for the 49ers. I remember, you know, it's like, so that, that meant a lot to us. And it obviously meant a lot to me that, that you had uh, that, that faith to, to give me a scholarship. I remember we were up at St. Henry in Northern Kentucky and say, well, we're going to offer you a scholarship. We don't have many left with just, uh, sometimes using recruiting tactics, but this was January right. prior to signing day. So this right. wasn't a year out. Hey, we, right. have, we only have a few left. You got to get it. Like there was truly only a few left. And I was like, well, I'll, I'll take it. And my dad's like, well, you've never even been to Louisville before. <laughs> I'm like, what other options do we have here? Either I'm going to the military or taking out student loans or I, I finally got a shot to play football. So anyways, I appreciate that. Changed my life. You, you mentioned I was a multi-sport athlete. You were as well, drafted in baseball twice. Was what, what was it about football that made you stick with that in the journey, even though a seventh-round draft pick, a fourth-round draft pick, was that a tough decision? 
Well, you know what? Back then, I really wasn't educated on the professional draft in baseball. So sometimes I look back, I'm like, it was a really dumb decision, actually, <laughs> uh, because, you know, those baseball guys can play a long time. They get paid really well, and uh, it's a really good lifestyle. But at the time, you know what? I was young. Um, football was just, uh, you know, a little more challenging. Uh, you know, as a quarterback, you got the ball in your hand. That's uh, more exciting. There's more to it. Baseball, I'm not going to lie. I mean, it's a great sport, but uh, it can be a little boring at times. Right. Even playing the game. You know, if you play the outfield, you may get one to two balls a game uh, at times, and uh, you get up to bat two or three times a game. So it just was more uh, exciting for me to and challenging for me to try to be a great quarterback and develop into that. So I just kind of just felt a little bit more um, uh, desire to want to pursue that. Uh, but, you know, baseball is a great sport. I enjoy watching it now. Uh, there's a lot of great athletes. and A lot of times your best players, uh, while it does take great hand-eye coordination, are guys that can play multiple sports. So, uh, you know, I, I still enjoy watching baseball to this day. That was the next thing I wanted to ask you about. Nowadays, uh, young athletes are specializing earlier and earlier. When you're recruiting a guy, is it ever a detriment? Does it ever work against them when they're a multi-sport athlete? Well, not for me. Uh, for yeah. me, uh, you know what, the, the more sports you, you, you play, the better. Now, it doesn't happen as much, and I understand it. I mean, uh, there's pressure to perform at a high level. There's a lot of competition at certain schools. You want to make sure you put your best foot forward. So I, I, I get where people are going with specializing. But uh, you know what, just being a competitive atmosphere of, of, of competitive sports year-round, uh, whether it's soccer, baseball, basketball, football, you name it, track, really – uh, motivates you to work hard and challenges you to compete against others every day. And when you're just kind of training in the off season, you can kind of get into lull at times. And while it's important to do s certain things to that avenue, I really think that uh, you know the more you can do, the better you're going to be. We, myself, I'll speak for myself and our staff, we're going to um, pursue guys that can do multiple things. And we really think in the end, once they get to where they have to specialize in college. Uh, uh, they become even better players. So I just think it's something that we continue to to look for, and it's not as common, but uh, you get a lot of great players that play multiple things. Yeah, I agree with that 100%. At, at what point during your playing career, or was it after, that you decided or, or knew that you wanted to get into coaching? Well, that's a good question. I get asked a lot. And, uh, you know, growing up, uh, sports was kind of my life. I just kind of liked to compete and, and do things and challenge myself to – perform at a high level and, and uh, really liked playing sports. It was just something that occupied my time, kept me out of trouble and um, really motivated me to, to, to work hard. But, you know, I'm not gonna lie, as a player, you think you can play. And when you get to the NFL, I was more of a backup role, trying to kind of make the team and get in the game a little bit. So you kind of challenged to get that done. I hung on there for a good while. And towards the end, I'm not gonna lie, I kind of wanted to hang on longer, but, uh, you know, it gets tougher and tougher. and. Uh, so as I got to my latter years of playing football, I had a couple of NFL teams I played with, uh, the Broncos and the, and, the, and the Packers, and even the Bengals asked me to, to coach. And at the time, I said, heck no, I don't want to coach. I, I'm, I can still play. Which, right. You know, they probably knew I was on my last leg. I may not have known as much. So I kind of just blew it off. Like, I'm not doing that. I, I can still play. And uh, so then once kind of the playing days got over, uh, Really, it wasn't until arena football here in town when I was trying to help Will Wolford with the team. And, and uh, I think Coach Redman, Bobby Redman, was the coach, and he kind of stepped down that I was kind of thrust into that role and really didn't really want to at first, but it was just something to do. And 
did that for a year. And then Coach Petrino called me at the University of Louisville and asked me to come on and be a coach. And at the time, I'm like, sure, I'll, I'll do that. But uh, really not knowing what it, it was going to take place. And, I'm, and, you know, the first couple of years of that, I, I never worked that hard in my life. So I'm like, man, do I really want to do all this, this coaching? But you know what? After your playing days, um, to be around uh, young kids and help them achieve their goals, to be in a competitive environment, to do things that are challenging, uh, was still motivating to me. So really, I didn't want to do it ever, but once I got into it, it kind of stuck. That all the what you said at the end is what appeals to me about coaching nowadays. It would be help pass along your lessons, pour into people, be around that competitive environment. When I'm done with the broadcast after a game, I'm excited if the Bills win, but it, it's not that same investment when I'm done calling their game. And I've told people this, and they think I'm nuts that that didn't play. I'm like, even when the Bills lose, I'd rather be in the locker room after the game than sitting in the parking lot with you having a beer. But the kicker is, I don't know that at this stage of life I can go put in those hours and be the dad I want to be, the husband. And and that's no shot on coaches. Coaches changed my life, and that's what I want to do for others. And so that's the appeal for me. And I don't I don't know if I ever end up. Back in there, I, I shadowed the Louisville staff a couple years ago for a week of the spring, and all week they're like, "You're going to love our culture. You're going to be, you're going to want to coach." Dwayne Ledford had had played in the NFL. Now he's coaching on staff with Satterfield. And as I'm picking their brains throughout the week, I'm like, "Well, what, what's a normal week during the season look like? This is the spring because this is a lot of fun. We're playing basketball at lunch and then going back and coaching football in the afternoon." They're like, "Yeah, the season's a little bit different." And then come recruiting time, now you're on the road for a week. I'm like, "Well." I don't know if that's for me at this stage of life, but you mentioned bounce around the, the, the multiple teams you play for in the NFL. You think it's a blessing now that you're a coach that you got to be exposed to so many different staffs. Like it's a, it's a dream for NFL players to play for one team for a decade and do all that. But I almost feel like the more coaches you're exposed to, and now granted I got to play for seven head coaches in nine years in Buffalo. So I got exposed to it without even having to bump around, but was that a blessing for you to be able to learn from so many different great coaches? I really think it was, uh, you know, I was one of those guys that, uh, you know, got on teams and made teams, but also got cut from teams. So every year, uh, you know, I used to tease people. I really didn't own a house until I got done playing in the NFL. I didn't really own a car really uh, until not much uh, into into my playing days because I was always, I, I might still in the parking lot out here, but anyway. <laughs> But all those all those times, you're just kind of fighting to hang on, and you know, and myself, I don't take anything for granted. So it's like, well, you know, I got to prove myself before I can say I'm actually going to make this money and make the team. Uh, so that was the challenge. Uh, but because of it, uh, yes, I was exposed to a lot of great, uh, not only coaches, but great players and great uh, atmospheres uh, where you see how people win and what makes these team, teams win over others that are, are aren't winning. So you kind of just take all that, you piece it together. Uh, you kind of put it with your own personality and, and you roll with it. But I do think, uh, you know, in order to be a great at what you do, you've got to work at it. Uh, in order to have great teams that you coach, in my opinion, the head coach has to do his part and he has to outwork the other head coaches. And our coaches on the staff have to do their part and we have to outwork the other head coaches and have a great plan ready and have answers when problems come about and not try to figure it out down the road, but be able to adjust quickly. And all those things matter. Then your team has to work hard. I just think uh, because I was a part of a lot of really good teams, uh, you know the difference between winning and losing is so small that sometimes it is coaching. Sometimes it is um, you know leadership on the team. 
put all those things tied together. So I, I'm, I'm fortunate enough that I had to fight through that as a player, but got a lot out of it that has helped me, in my opinion, uh, beyond my playing days and hopefully can continue to help us move forward. Your offenses are known for putting up points. You did it at Purdue. We did it here at UofL. You did it at Western. You're also known for being very creative. And I, I believe I've told you this before, but when I was with Buffalo, we would watch Purdue trick play clips and, and, and we would watch those and then try and emulate them. And then I would text uh, your brother Brian about them and we would have many details and, uh, you know, we only do it against this look. And if there is pressure there, there's not a like, hey, you got to get out there. The, the, we're not running that anymore. Like this isn't the time and place for it. That being said, with the creativity on offense, the ever-evolving uh, offenses that are happening in college, NFL, is most of your time spent in game planning, in, in coming up with the offense for the season? Are you looking around college football, around the NFL? Or are you trying to come up with it yourself? Is it past playing experience or maybe a combination? Well, that's a great question. Really, it's a combination of all those things. And, uh, you know, I'm not too prideful to admit that, uh, you know, a lot of times you steal things from others. And if there's one thing I probably do more than others, in my opinion, is probably watch videotape and, uh, of other good college teams, of other good pro teams. I'm not going to lie, we, I've stole some things off the Internet from some high school teams that have really done a great job for us. So there's a lot of great coaches all around the country at all different levels. But you have to be willing to study that and to figure it out. And I think, uh, you know, one of the things I try to do, uh, obviously it's challenging every year, but in the off season, that's when you need to make sure that you're doing your research and you're studying and, and making sure you're compile that information and put it together where, uh, you know, you can remember it and you can put it together and put it in a plan because sometimes you can watch things that look great. And then a month later you forget about it. So, you know, I write things down. Uh, we, ha we have a lot of research, uh, books and videotape that we actually put those clips somewhere. Uh, and it's very useful because you just want to make sure you're ahead of the curve. Uh, it's important you do those things just like you guys watching us. I, you know, I had a friend of mine, uh, Chad O'Shea, with the Patriots at the, about the same time. And they watched a lot of our stuff as well, including trick plays, uh, you know, after our, our first bowl game at Purdue where we ran the fake kneel, kneel down play. They put it in at the Patriots. They called it uh, Hilltopper because we actually ran at Western Kentucky a couple years before, and they ran it in the playoff game. So I think all of us kind of watch each other. Uh, you know, good coaches know who are doing creative things out there, and you just try to piece it together. But I do think um, when you're on a football team, you know when you're coached well and you know when you have a chance to win and you know when you've got some bullets in the holster you're able to use and then you also know when you don't. So I think it's important that as coaches, when our players take the field, they know that you know we're going to have a chance to win this game no matter who we play if we execute correctly, if we do the small things right and if we play hard. So I, that's kind of a challenge of mine. I, I, I look forward to it uh, and I do do that a lot. There is nothing more fun than in college when we would have our opening script and we would say, hey, we should have two touchdowns in these first eight plays. That would, that would happen. Well, then you have confidence the next time. And I think that applies in business. When the leaders put in the work, when the leaders are fully prepared and then you put in the work, well, now you show up confidence and you're looking forward to it and you're having fun. If I'm in a speaking engagement and I haven't done the work, I'm pretty nervous going into it. Like, I really hope I don't blow this. If I prepared, now I'm excited. I know I got a great message. And, you know, whether I deliver it perfectly or not, that's out of my control. 
but I know I've put in the work and I have something really good to give them. So then you're excited heading into it as opposed to nervous. And we felt that as players playing for you, playing for Coach Petrino in college. And there was times when I was playing in the NFL and, and we weren't as confident heading into the games. We didn't have all the answers and we were very predictable. We had nothing new we were about to bring to the table. They've seen everything. Well, now you might not be quite as confident. You're saying, okay, now we got to go one-on-one, man-to-man, and beat them 70 times. You know, we got to keep winning as opposed to being like, hey, a few times, like as soon as they line up in this look, we, we got them. We right. got them here. So I, I've seen both ends of that. In this new culture of NIL and transfer, that's something I was obviously unfamiliar with, in college, now this is coming from a coach who landed the number one transfer recruiting class in the country, and I know you know recruiting rankings are what they are, but you've adapted well to it. What's been your biggest observations or biggest challenges with this kind of new culture of college athletics? Well, I think every every year it's going to continue to change, and uh, you've just got to make sure that you adapt as well. You know, a lot of people ask me questions, what are my thoughts and opinions on it, and I can give those, but at the same time. Uh, I don't make the rules. So right. when the rules are made, you kind of have to adapt and adjust, and you can't be ticked off that why they put this rule in and not use it. Well, no, you, you kind of have to use it to your advantage. So I think even uh, from the Purdue days, even back to the Western Kentucky days, we were able to use the transfer market to a certain degree, and that was before the the, the ability to transfer without sitting out. Now that that rule has been changed, it's even more prevalent, and uh, it's going to happen. So I just think every year rosters are going to change your roster is going to change. You're going to have some guys that maybe aren't getting to play as much that maybe it is a good opportunity for them to go play somewhere else. You know what? And we support it. Uh, Whatever is best for our players, we want them to help get that done, but we want to be honest with them along the way. So when that happens, you have to be able to add to your roster. So I just think it's something you got to constantly look at. you got to evaluate your team every year, a little bit more like an NFL team than than probably what you used to in college and say, okay, where are we at? Where do we need help? Uh, where do we feel good about the development of our young players? Where do we uh, need to progress more on that? And you have to adapt. So I just think we've uh, been able to do that every year. We're not shy about it. Uh, we're truthful with our own players. Uh, we want to make sure that they're taken care of, whether they're with us or even somewhere else. You know, we were able to – uh, land Jack Plummer as a transfer quarterback this past year who was with us at Purdue. Unfortunately uh, for him, you know, Aiden O'Connell kind of emerged as a playmaker, so he was going to be number two one year, but he wanted a chance to go play and start. I assisted, you know, obviously he did a lot of the work, but I assisted in helping him find a spot at Cal where he went and was a starter, did a really good job, and then they didn't win as much as they wanted uh, or as he wanted, and they had a coaching change, and now he wanted to come back and, and be a part of it, and he's done a great job for us, and he knows that uh, he trusts that you know we're going to tell him the truth and be honest with him and, and help him achieve his goal. So I just think it's a it's a landscape that you got to adapt to. But if you're willing to do that and your coaches are willing to put in the work, that hopefully you can help to improve your team every year. Yeah, and for the players, you're giving them a lot of options, and at times that can hurt them. You know, it's hey, I face adversity, so I'm out of here. But when you look at there was three number one overall draft picks in the NFL draft that were all transfers prior. There's something to it as well. It's giving, especially the quarterback position, where only one guy starts, it's giving them an opportunity to go somewhere else without having to sit out. Now, as an offensive lineman, and and I hope I'm not speaking out of turn, and I hope I don't offend anybody, but if you can't be one of the five starters at your own school, 
It's not likely that you're jumping to a bigger, better situation and you're just now all of a sudden going to be one of their starters. Now, I know that's extreme, but it's different when there's one quarterback or one kicker, let's say, as opposed to an offensive lineman. Maybe there's multiple tight ends in a set. You could be one of those couple tight ends if you're if you're a good enough player. So at times it's giving these guys an out, which I don't love. But in other times, it's giving them situations where I didn't anticipate this to be the case. I didn't sign up to play for this coach, and now it's a new one, a new offensive scheme maybe for a quarterback, and it makes a lot of sense. Let's switch gears uh, just a touch. In 2006, do we win the national championship if Michael Bush doesn't get hurt? Well, I actually think we do. And uh, I do. You know, credit to you and, and your teammates that year. We were extremely talented. You guys had worked really hard. Uh, we had depth at every position, uh, and Michael was a special player who could do everything. And uh, if he doesn't get hurt, uh, you know, anything can happen. But you know, if we win the Rutgers game, that we're in the national BCS, excuse me, the BCS national championship game uh, against Ohio State, right? Uh, without question, I think we would have a chance to win that football game. But you know, those things happen. We lost on the road. We kind of hit a lull there, uh, but. You know, that team that you were on was probably, in my opinion, one of the most talented teams that's come through here. Uh, just uh, really, really good players at every position. A lot of guys that went on and played and did a great job, had a great career, uh, but just tremendous athletes um, and uh, so much depth. I think we had five run NFL running backs on the roster at one time and then a lot of really good players around them. So, you know, that was a special year. And, uh, you know, you hope that you, you somehow can – build this program at Louisville back up to do something close to that again because that was a really, really fun year where we were this close to, to being there. We were. And some special memories from that year, but oftentimes we'll always look back at the, the lowlights and forget about all the highlights. Like for every time that I've thought about that Rutgers loss, I, I ignore time and time again the West Virginia game at home when we beat them and we're number three in the country or beat Miami at home and run them out of the stadium or smash UK to start the year. You forget about all that and you think back to the end of that Rutgers game with them rushing the field. But uh, I think sometimes that's good in life to, to reflect on that. Right. It kind of keeps right. propelling you forward. So w when I played for you, you would run the offensive meetings for the most part, but not the, the pregame speeches weren't yours. Well, now we have a high, we have many highlights of these Jeff Brown pregame speeches. Are these rehearsed or are they just coming to you in the moment? No, they're not really rehearsed. Uh, you know, I think, um, you know, I was a guy who uh, was somewhat quiet uh, to, to myself and reserved, but when it came to competing, uh, you know, you kind of have to turn it on. And, uh, and I was, did that some to a certain degree, but you know, as a coach, you kind of, in my opinion, you have to have a feel of where your team's at and, as you know, football is a passionate game about toughness and intensity, and if you don't have it, you're not going to win. And uh, there's a lot of guys that are really great people off the field that are fun to be around, have a great personality. Uh, but you've got to become the aggressor uh, when the game starts, so you've got to be able to turn that on. And so I try to just kind of have a pulse of how I think the team is coming into the game and even the pregame warm-ups. And uh, if I don't like what I see, you know, sometimes you've got to get that juice going. And... Occasionally, I'll put that off on some assistance, but I don't, if I don't feel comfortable, then I'll take it upon myself. And I just think it's a feel thing. Um, you know, I'm not going to lie. As I look back on it, in my opinion, some of what I thought were my better pregame speeches, we did not play well. So I don't know <laughs> if it really mattered a whole lot. It probably looked good a little bit on video, but I just think 
um, you know, your football team has to know that you're going to bring it and you're ready to play and your coaches are. So sometimes even you know, during the game when I'm talking to coaches and maybe we get into it a little bit and it gets a little heated, I don't mind that. I mean, I want our players to know, hey, we're, we're invested in winning and what happens on the field stays on the field, but it's about helping uh, this football team win and we want to see the same intensity and desire and passion to go out there and compete as maybe our coaches do sometimes. I just think it all correlates and ties together. And, uh, you know, while you want to be calm and, and, and not get penalties and get on the reps too much, you want to make sure that our guys uh, on the team know that everybody on that field is going to do their part to help us win the game. I'm excited to share today's sponsor with you. If you know me, then you know I'm a huge fan of Dano's seasoning, and they just released my favorite flavor yet, Dano's Cheesening. Dano's Cheesing offers up a taste of Italy with a southern twist. Dano's worked hard to bring the signature savory flavor of Dano's and blend it with rich Parmesan cheese to create a seasoning that's unlike anything you've ever had before. I'm not kidding when I say that cheesening is a game changer. It has elevated my flavor game to the next level. You can grab Dano's Cheesening right now on their website at danosseasoning.com. Yeah, that's that's great stuff. We uh, I played for Rex Ryan, one of the best pregame speeches I ever heard in Buffalo. We come out against New England and have three personal fouls in the first quarter. And when we talked to the team meeting the next day, Rex said, maybe I went a little overboard. Maybe uh, the pregame speech with clips of Goodfellas, clips of them beating a mobster, like maybe that wasn't our best approach. Like maybe I took it a little too far on you guys, but but I'm with you. I, I'd rather have a coach bring some energy. I played for coaches that say, hey, it's on you. If you're not personally motivated, that's all well and good. But if you feel the pulse of the team and they need a little something, okay, now I'm going to give it to them in that instance. The XFL's back. You had an awesome uh, pregame talk uh, uh, with the XFL. Was that script given to you? Well, no, it was not given to me. So the story on that, uh, if we're talking about the one clip that's uh, that's out there and it's been out there, really, uh, you know, I went to the XFL and uh, it was a new league and it was at the time going to be tied in with wrestling and that type of crowd. And, you know, I was the first pick of the Orlando Rays. I think there were eight teams. And uh, really, the first couple of weeks, the, the league started with a bang. And uh, we had sellout crowds at uh, the Citrus Bowl where we played. I know for, for a fact, uh, you know, they told me, you know, uh, you know, there've been a lot of events in the Citrus Bowl over the years. That's a historic venue. But they said our first game at halftime, there was more alcohol sold than any event they've ever had in the Citrus Bowl. <laughs> so it tells you the type of crowd that we had. They were into it, they were passionate, they were, had all kinds of other interests as well. But uh, so anyway, so we're playing and, and uh, you know, the ratings are starting to go down a little bit. and. Uh, and you're, you're hearing about it as a player, and uh, I'm being interviewed before the game, like on a typical Friday night before a Saturday game. And the young lady's asked me questions, and I can tell she's kind of bored with my answers, to be honest with you. I just kind of felt it. So she asked me a question, I kind of gave that answer, and she said, Oh, that's a really good answer. I said, Well, thank you. You know, so I'm hoping that they're going to use that on the pregame the next uh, day. So I go out to pregame warm ups, and uh, Chris Raggy, the NBC announcer, uh, who still, I think, does NBC maybe up in New York for some sports, uh, comes over and says, hey, man, we heard your quote, blah, blah, blah. It was really good. I said, well, thank you. He said, hey, we're going to need you when we go on the air live to say that again live. And I said, oh, no, no, I'm not saying, I'm not saying that live. See the team over there? I'm not right. He goes, no, no, we need you to say it live. I'm like, are you serious? 
He said, yeah, we need to say that quote live. So I knew what I was going to say, and it had been said before, but no, it was, it was my line. And um, you know what? That game, actually, um, I had about 25 of my buddies coming down. Uh, I had been knocked out of the game before. I went to the doctor. The doctor said, well, you know what? Protocol says you got to sit out for a game when you have a concussion. And I kind of looked at him, and I knew I had a bunch of people come in town. I said, well, this is the XFL, right? As far as I know, there's no rules in this league, so I'm going to be playing. He goes, well, I mean, technically, I guess you can. I said, well, that's what I'm going to be doing, and that's, that's kind of where it went from there. That is awesome. Yeah, so not scripted, but, yeah, they, they, they put you up to that. Right, right. That's really cool. There's talk of XFL expansion. Uh, in the current model, you know, they're trying to be this minor league system for the NFL, which I think it needs, you know, as far as developing quarterbacks, offensive linemen, DVs. I think long-term for the game, if they can, if the NFL can partner with a minor league, another league to develop some of those guys, I think that would, would help the game long-term. Do you think Louisville would be a good host, a uh, good, good city for an XFL team? Well, you know what? It probably would. I mean, I think if you look at the downtown arena, which is bigger than any NBA arena, obviously they could host an NBA team if they wanted. I think they do a great job. I think uh, our stadium we have for our football team here is little was tremendous NFL-type stadium that is as good as anywhere in the country. So, uh, you know, I think people would have a passion for that. You know, I think the minor league system is great, you know, figuring out how to make that exactly work the right way and how to promote it and when to play it and how to put it on TV. That's where I'm not an expert on, and maybe that's where they missed the boat a little bit, and maybe there's not a perfect answer. But I do think that uh, there are a lot of great football players that, you know, don't make a roster that still want to develop and get a chance to play. Uh, so providing them an opportunity to do that, I think, is a great thing. Yeah, I, I think it could be a great city because this city is so uh, into sports. They're into football, basketball. They're into really, yes. I mean, I was talking to the guys from the PGA and they were talking about yeah. the Ryder Cup attendance in 2008, one right. of their best ever, and how the PGA Championship in 2023 is already setting corporate right. record sales. And this isn't one of their biggest cities that they've had it in. And I so agree. I do think that there is room for it and there would be passion around it. And a lot of it's about TV ratings and people here watch sports. The, the, the markets, uh, the numbers speak for themselves when you look at ESPN rankings of college markets, of, of, of actually just markets, but the college sports especially right. is off the charts. All right, this is what's next with Eric Wood. What's next for Jeff Rom? Uh, you have a... A little bit of time off here before camp. Is there any uh, specific time with the family or anything that you got planned before you get going this season? Well, uh, it's it's kind of dying down and kind of getting back to uh, getting back in the office here coming up this next week. And uh, we've had some time off. And uh, I have a son who just graduated from high school, Trinity High School. Will be attending Louisville next year as a student, working for us in the recruiting and operation department. Who, who loves doing that stuff. Um, he loves telling me all the things I screw up all the time, does a great job of that. I have a daughter who'll be in seventh grade, plays a lot of sports, so we kind of travel a little bit for her volleyball and some other sports like that. Um, so it's kind of just been revolved around sports and hanging out a little bit and relaxing, just play a little bit of golf, not as much as you, but, uh, you know, the back has kind of acted up on me here in the last couple of years, so i got to be a little careful with it. But you know what, there's a lot of thing, great things to do here. There's a tremendous amount of uh, successful, talented people that it's been great to get back in this community and get around them uh, and to be associated with them and see all the faces that uh, from the past and even some new ones uh, because I just do think there's a passionate fan base 
of sports in this town that are dying for uh, a team to, to take off and do great things. And they appreciate teams that work hard, that find ways to have success. So, you know, I feel that. And I feel it's important that I do my part as a coach and make sure that, uh, you know, we get this staff and team ready to play and that uh, we're ready to compete come game one. And it's a long season, but you got to just take it step by step and figure out ways to win. And, uh, you know, and we want to do it now. So I really think it's it's getting to that point and, and, and the season's right around the corner. Yeah, well, I'm excited about it. The city's excited about it. Nationally, there's expectations on the season. I know that you guys will manage those how you need to. And, you know, not to get off on another tangent, but if you have high expectations going into the season, that that's not a bad thing. You know, as a coach, you might worry about, hey, you know, maybe these guys' heads are getting too big, but I, I would rather have guys that you got to pull the reins on their expectations a little bit than say, hey, no, we're going to be good. Like, we can be good this season. So uh, uh, me as an alum, as someone around the program, I'm, I'm excited. We're excited you're back. We're grateful that although very tough decision to leave a, a program or Purdue that, that puts so much resources about you and, and give you that opportunity in the Big Ten, we're grateful you're back. I'm grateful you took the time to come on the podcast, share those words. I appreciate it. Thank you, Eric. I appreciate it.